open your Bibles with me to the book of Titus, the letter of Paul to Titus. We will continue with our expository series through this book. This evening we find ourselves in chapter 3. We will be considering verses 4 and the first part of verse 5. Titus chapter 3. I'm going to read the whole chapter and consider those two verses there. If you're there with me, hear the infallible word of God. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Saviour, appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenas the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is God's word. I'm going to to make a prayer. And then we will consider verses 4 and 5. Please bow with me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you once again. We are grateful that we get to hear your word again. Uh, Having this divine peep in your mind. Father, we pray that you may reveal to us the mysteries of your word. Because in the gospel of your son, you have made your eternal counsels known. We pray that you may Open our eyes to them this afternoon. May it be that we love your law, Lord. That it may be our, our, our meditation all the day long. May your commandment make us wiser than our enemies. 
may it ever be with us. Uh, may it be that your testimonies are our meditations. May we take pleasure in keeping your precepts. Grant that we would hold back our feet from every evil way by keeping your word. Help us not to turn aside from your rules for you have been so faithful to teach us. May your words be sweet to our taste, sweeter than honey in our mouth. We pray that through your precepts we may get understanding and that therefore we may hate, we may hate all false ways. Be merciful to us, Lord. Reveal to us by your Son who is the greatest prophet your will for our salvation. Do this by your word and by your spirit because these are the means, this is the only way. In your presence, Lord, we come. We desire that you may illumine us. Make your face to shine on us, Lord. May your word be plain to us. Do this for your glory and for our own good. Grant that the word of God this evening would be used by the Spirit of God to reveal to us the Son of God to the praise and glory of your beautiful name. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever asked yourself the question, Who saved me? Have you ever thought to yourself, this matter of salvation, what does it mean? Who, who saved me? Now, this is an important question because, you see, people today claim to be Christians. And when you ask them about it, they will give a whole story without once saying or acknowledging in any way, shape or form that God saved them. They will give their whole life story. And not once will they mention God saving them or even Jesus Christ being their savior. As you well know, we admit people into our membership by listening to their testimonies. So it's not all who attend with us um, that are automatically our members. We listen to people's testimonies. And therefore, we admit people into the membership. And what we usually are listening for, what we are wanting to hear really, is a complete acknowledgement of the saving work of God, as well as a complete dependence upon the God who has saved them. Now, ask yourself this question as you listen to this sermon this evening. How do you imagine that people are saved? Do they decide to be saved? Or does God actually save them? Do they choose God? Or does God choose them? Are people so good that they move God to save them? Or does God save them freely, mercifully and graciously? Which is it? Now, as the answer to these questions may seem obvious to some of us, they are not obvious to all. And this is the matter at hand in the text that we are considering this evening. 
Last week, we considered the state which we are in. Indeed, what we were in our natural state was a desperate case. And we saw there, if you look, look with me there, at verse 3, the apostle says, now having told, the, having told Titus to remind the Cretan believers to be submissive to the authorities and to, you know, to, live, to, to, to live well, really, with everyone else, he tells them, then in verse 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And, and what we saw last week was that we were in a desperate state. Ours was a desperate case. And, and that is why this evening I want to show you from the text before us that it is God who saves us. And that's the title of the sermon this afternoon it is god who saves us that apart from him no one can be saved apart from god no one can be saved and if it were not for his saving work no one would be saved the clarity of the passage before us is striking it's, it's so striking that it is a wonder that the ideas people come up with and require others to embrace are, are astonishing. You know, when we read the text before us, it's very clear. It's not ambiguous. It's not one of those difficult passages in the Bible. And you know the Bible has difficult passages. But this right here is not a difficult text. It's clear. A text before us grants clear truths. Like on the one hand that God is good. That God is love. That God is kind. That God is savior. That God is merciful. While on the other hand, it grants that we are not good. We are not righteous. My brethren. We are evil people. As a matter of fact, that's what the Apostle has told us in the previous verse there, verse 3. We were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. We were passing our days in malice and envy. That's how we were living. We were hated by others. We were hating one another. We were a hateful people. We were evil, sinful, wicked, wretched. And were it not for God's saving work, we would die and go to hell. And that's the implications here are uh, not only very clear, but obvious. That it is God who saves us. We are dependent on Him. We will die and perish if God does not do something. Oh, praise the Lord that God has done something. Praise the Lord that if you die now, there is assurance of going to heaven because of what God has done. This is what I would like us to consider. Like us, uh, like, <clears throat> like for you to see three things from the text this evening. That it is God who saves us, number one, through his goodness and loving kindness. Number two, not because of works done by us, 
and number three, according to his mercy. Like you to see that it is God who saves us through his goodness and loving kindness. It is God who saves us and that not because of works done by us. And then thirdly, that it is God who saves us according to his mercy. And that's plainly clear from the text. Number one, it is God who saves us through his goodness and loving kindness. Look with me, beginning of verse 4. <clears throat> the apostle says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. The apostle shows here that the attributes of God are not only for his glory, but also for the good of his people. And even this bring glory to his name. He says here that God's goodness, God's love, God's kindness appear for the salvation of his people. This that he is now writing to Titus for and is also considering himself a part of. Last week we saw that the apostle includes himself among the people who are dead in their trespasses, those who are wretched. When he says there in verse 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, he is writing to Titus for the Cretan believers and he's also including himself among the people that were wretched, that were foolish and disobedient and led astray. And so when he's writing there, he's saying, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He includes himself there. And you know that the apostle was a, a persecutor of the Christians. The apostle Paul. Until God saved him on the Damascus road. And what we see here is that God in his attributes does not only get glory by the virtue of that, that being his nature. He also gets glory by the virtue of him using his attributes to save his people. That's what we see here. That the goodness and loving kindness of God, His goodness, His love, His kindness appear for the salvation of these that are His. These that are His people. This statement simply means what it says. That God displays His goodness and loving kindness and for this He saves a people for Himself. For the sake of these things, these attributes, saves a people for himself now you see the word appeared there but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared where else have we seen this in chapter 2 verse 11 look with me there for the grace of God has done what has appeared bringing salvation for all people that word appeared um, is given to us to show that the way the you know, goodness and kindness cannot appear. I mean, they are, they are not uh, actual things. And so the way they appear, the apostle tells us is through the Holy Spirit and through the Son of God. It's through the second person of the Trinity and the third. So that God the Father reveals His goodness and His kindness and His, uh, and, and his mercy and His love through the Son and the Spirit. Look with me at that text. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. Whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, 
our Savior. And so what we see there is that this goodness and loving kindness of God appears through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the work of His Holy Spirit and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this passage, uh, sorry, we know this because the passage tells us in the verses below, as, as we have seen, that God poured this through His Spirit. He poured out His love, He poured out His kindness, His goodness through His Holy Spirit. By His Holy Spirit and by His Son, through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now notice there that the person in the Godhead being referred to here is God the Father. Again, we know that it is God the Father because this activity of goodness and loving kindness and uh, uh, love, uh, this activity of kindness really, is done by the other two persons in the Godhead, the Spirit of God and the Son of God. So it's God the Father. Um, notice as well that God the Father is our Savior. So usually we, we think that God the Son is our Savior. And of course that's, that's true and right. Uh, Jesus Christ is the Savior. He's the one who comes to accomplish redemption. He's the one who comes to live the perfect life that we couldn't live, die the death that we deserved upon the cross, taking the wrath of God upon Himself for the sake of sinners. And so He is our Savior. But then this text grants us that God the Father is our Savior as well. And God the Father is our Savior in the sense that He plans redemption. Of course, he's not the one who died upon the cross, but he's the one that plans this work of redemption as we saw elsewhere in Ephesians. But then he is also the savior by the virtue of the other persons in the Godhead actively being involved. So what I'm submitting to you is that because Jesus is the savior, the spirit is the savior and the father is the savior. And that, that does apply to the Father. The Father is the Savior because the Spirit is our Savior and the Son is our Savior. So that it's not as though the work of saving is only done by God the Son or only done by God the Holy Spirit. It's also done by God the Father. And that's why they, then the Apostle says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Now this goodness and loving kindness appears through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what we have there in verse 6, which we will consider um, next week or another time, Lord willing. Let me say here that uh, the goodness and loving kindness of God is meant to lead men to repentance. Uh, turn with me briefly to Romans chapter 2. <clears throat> the letter of Paul to the Romans, in the second chapter, Consider with me verse, verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know, that our uh, uh, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. 
do you suppose oh man you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself that you will escape the judgment of god verse 4 is what i want you to pay attention to it says or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that god's kindness leads men to uh, leads uh, sorry is meant to lead you to repentance and so when the apostle paul talks of the goodness and loving kindness of god in titus chapter 3 verse 4 Uh, is essentially saying that God reveals these attributes he gives himself like this in goodness and loving kindness so that men may repent of their sins and that's what he's saying here do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance when God gives you breath every day when god gives you eyes to see ears to e- ears to hear when god gives you the ability to sit and listen to this sermon his goodness and his loving kindness is meant to lead all of us to repentance please notice that no one will stand before god on the last day and say that god never gave him a chance God is good and kind to all. Isn't that what the psalmist says? The Lord is good to all. Therefore, bless his name. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Give thanks to the God of gods because he is good to all. His kindness spans throughout all the world. Now, even if God were never kind to you and to I, to grant us all that he has given us especially that we may have the opportunity to hear the gospel even if god one were not that kind he would be justified to punish all of us why why because we are sinners because we have broken his law and the wages of sin is death and i'm saying this to show you that the goodness and loving kindness of god should lead us to repentance it should lead all all men really to repentance but will all men come no all men will not come even though god is very kind now god's goodness is seen in in the work of jesus christ god god is not only good to you because he gives you food he gives you breath he's given you the air that you breathe or the place where you lay your head or means to take on every day God is not only good to you like that. God is especially good to you and to me because he has given us his son. You're told that the even the spirit of God is poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our savior so that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is should be the ultimate uh, 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 knowing Jesus Christ should be the ultimate goal of every human being now god saves people through jesus christ he he reveals his uh, goodness and 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 loving kindness through jesus christ 
he says that uh, he has loved the world that he has given his son it is his son that saves us it is through his son that we know the the, the good god now pastor james tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change god gives every good gift because he is good himself the epitome of the goodness of god the apex of how god is good is seen in his son the son who comes and takes human flesh as we're going to see next next week he's born in a manger born in the likeness of men and then his son who goes and takes the punishment of evil wicked men i submit to you that it is god who saved us the apostle says that there beginning of us 5 he saved us when this goodness and loving kindness of god appeared through his son jesus christ he saved us no mere man who is saved saved himself people are not saved because they come in front i'm not going to do an altar call here because that doesn't save anyone people are not saved because the pastor lays his hand on them the pastor has no power to save anyone people are not saved because they were born by christian parents and you have children being born here by christian parents eh people are not saved because they are so good or they are so intelligent they see ah if i don't do this i will go to hell let me do this let me make this choice i i therefore have decided to follow jesus no no not quite people are saved because god saves them people are saved because god in his goodness and in and in his loving kindness he sent his son it is not we who are loving god or seeking god it is god who loved the world it is god who comes to seek and save the lost i mean what's the purpose of the son of man the bible says the son of man came to seek and save the lost they were not seeking him they were not looking for him they did not want to be saved you did not want to be saved god saved you god saved us my brethren it is god who saved us that's what the text tells us right when the goodness and loving kindness of god our savior appeared he saved us he opened us opened our eyes he took us from our dead state he changed us you see god is the one by his holy spirit who gave us the new bath this is what we will be considering next that text there when it says by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the holy spirit it's god who gives bath to us as it were god saved us you did not save yourself if there's a book by a man uh, called J.I. Parker <clears throat> Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God and if you know J.I. Parker has written the uh, famous book Knowing God in his book Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God J.I. Parker says the Armenian and the Calvinists 
both meet or agree on their knees. There is no one time that the Armenian goes to God and tells God, God, I thank you because I chose you. I thank you because I was so intelligent that I decided to come to you. <clears throat> Both the Armenian and the Calvinist, the um, decisional regeneration uh, movement, when, when they go to God on their knees, they say, thank you God that you saved us. And what the Calvinist does is he says, he speaks from the rooftops that God saved me. I did not choose him. If he had not choose, chosen me, I would not choose him. That's what the Calvinist does. The Bible tells us very clearly that he saved us. Look, look at the second thing there. Number two, not because of works done by us. God, it is God who saved us. Number one, through his goodness and loving kindness. Number two, not because of works done by us. <clears throat> Verse five, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. I mean, could it be any, any clearer? Romans chapter 3 verse 19. Now we know that whatever, we, whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped. Listen to what the apostle says. This same apostle says in Romans 3. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The apostle is saying, everyone is a sinner. Everyone is filthy. Everyone is guilty. Before God on judgment's day is where everyone will be. Now, I quote that from Shailene. Everyone is, everyone is a sinner. No one will stand before God and say, oh, I did this. Oh, I tried this. Oh, I was, I was good like this. God, God will shut the mouths of everyone in the world. Anyone, anyone who will behold God in all his glory will not be able to say how good they were. God, through his law, shuts the mouth of everyone. Everyone is a sinner. None is good. No, not one. The apostle says here, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Romans 3.27 Then what, what, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. By the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Now we, we have been memorizing Galatians 2.15 and 16. Unless you think that it's not an important activity, the apostle reminds us there that we know, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. 
It's in those similar terms that the apostle says here in Titus chapter 3 verse 5 that God saved us. God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. It does not matter how many times you come to church on Sunday or on Saturday for the SDA. And this is where I refrain myself from attacking other uh, groups. The SDAs are are a cult. They're cultic. They have defiled the gospel. They have added going to church on Saturday to the content of the gospel. The Bible says we are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. You know this, right? The SDA comes and says, "No, no, 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 no. If you do not go to church on Saturday, grace alone, faith alone doesn't work." The Bible tells us here that it's not because of works done by us in righteous in righteousness. Those things that we do that we think are very righteous. Reading the Bible, for example, going to church, praying every day, obeying the law of god keeping the 10 commandments or so we think we may we may keep them the bible says here that it is not it is not by works done by us in righteousness it's not by the righteousness of others as the roman catholics would would grant and it is not by our own righteousness god does not save us because he looks down through time and sees oh how these people are so good in keeping the law Look at how righteous these people are. I can't help but save them. That's not how God saves people. God saves people by his goodness, out of his loving kindness. He saves us not because we are worthy. My friends, before God, we are all unworthy. It is God who saves us. This is the point that I'm making to you this evening. I'm laboring to show that you cannot be saved apart from the saving activity of God by his holy spirit through the work of his son upon the cross god is the one that saves men god is the one that comes in removes the heart of stone and implants the heart of flesh god is the one that comes and teaches us to keep his statutes and he does this by changing us by saving us by renewing us the apostle says he saved us He saved us. It is God who saved us. It does not matter how many decisions we make. The Bible is clear. Even the decision to repent of our sins is only enabled by the saving activity of God. God is the one who has saved you if you're saved here this afternoon is there anything more that you'd like for me to say there think of all the works of righteousness that you could think of in this world they can't save anyone and you understand the meaning there when he says he saved us he's saying that it is apart from you It is completely apart from you. It's not because of works done by you in righteousness. It's not as though God looks at you and sees how good you are. And then God decides he's going to save you. No, God saves those that he saves apart from them. Now, it is here that uh, a lot of heat comes upon upon us because we are going to unequivocally say God has his people. 
God has chosen everyone that he is going to save. The Lord Jesus Christ is not the savior of everyone, anyone and everyone without exception. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ is able to look at the Pharisees in the face and say, you, you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. It is here that we come under heavy fire because we are not going to admit we would rather be burnt at the stake before we admit that God will save everyone. That God is the savior of everyone without exception. God is the savior of everyone without distinction. All people from every nation, tribe, tongue and language. All, all people without distinction. Men, women, tall, short, young, old, rich, poor. God saves all without distinction. But God, God is not going to save all without exception. There are some who will burn in hell because God has not saved them. God is the savior. God is the one who saves, my friends. And that's why when we bow our knee, when we go to God in prayer, we go with gratitude. We go to God and say, thank you, God, that you saved me. That's why when we, look at, when we look at the authorities, when we look at the people out there, as we saw from verse, verse 1 and 2 there, we don't look at them and say, I am better than them. Do we? We don't look at them and say, oh, how wise I am. How foolish these people are. Are they not, are they not seeing? Why will they not come? They are not going to come because they love their sins. They are also not going to come because God is not, is not saving them. Because it is God who saves people. That's why when we go out, when we go out on evangelism, we go with the power of the gospel. And we also go with dependence upon God, my friends. All our going out is only meaningful because we go with God, the one who saves. Right? When we pray, we pray. God be merciful to save all who will come into contact with the gospel. Because they may come into contact with the gospel and not be saved. Because God is the one who saves men. The Bible says here that when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Not because we fulfilled the law. Not because we have done anything that God looks at us and is so pleased with us. No, please. God saves us out of his kindness. Just to <clears throat> drive the nail in, the apostle says there, lastly, number three, that God saves us according to his mercy. God saves us according to his mercy. And my, my, my responsibility there is to just define to you what mercy is and I will be done. What is mercy? Mercy is uh, the withholding of that which is deserved. That's what we call mercy. <clears throat> withholding punishment where it is deserved. So God saves us by his goodness and loving kindness not because of works done by us in righteousness, but also according to his mercy. You see, mercy is different from grace. Grace 
is being given that which you don't deserve. You know that. Grace is uh, that which we call unmerited favor. God gives you favor that you have not merited. You've not earned. You do not have merit to receive the grace of God. You do not have enough righteousness for God to say, I'm going to be gracious to you. Grace is unmerited favor. He gives you that which you don't deserve. Mercy. Mercy, on the other hand, is God withholding from you the punishment that you deserve. So instead of giving you what you deserve, God withholds it. That's what mercy is. And by implication, when God shows mercy, he at the same time displays grace. Because if, if, if uh, mercy is withholding from you the punishment that is due you, you should be punished and God says he's not, not going to punish you. By implication, he is being gracious upon you. He is giving you life where you don't deserve it. And that's what the apostle is saying here. He saved us according to his own mercy. God saved us by withholding from us the punishment that was due to us. And where does this punishment go? This punishment does not evaporate into thin air. God does not misuse his powers and say, because I am the omnipotent, I'm going to, I'm going to assume that you never sinned. No, no. God takes that punishment and imputes it upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He punishes Christ on behalf of sinners. That's why then the Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So God, in in showing mercy to us, God is actually executing justice. So that God is not God is not going to uh, show mercy and be unjust. I mean, the wages of sin is death. God has said He is faithful. It must be so, right? So the way God shows us mercy is by giving that punishment that we deserve to another, by imputing it upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why He is glorious. He is majestic. He is the one when the when the. Uh, in the book of Revelation, we read that when the scrolls are, are to be opened, no one is found worthy to open them. It's only the Lord Jesus Christ who is able to open them because he is worthy. And he is worthy, why? Because he took the punishment of sinners upon himself. He died on the cross to save his people from their sins. His name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God saves us according to his own mercy. The apostle says that it is his, his own mercy. It's not someone else's mercy. God doesn't get mercy somewhere else. and it's, No, God, God saves us by his mercy. God saves us willingly, freely. He displays mercy upon us of himself. There is no one really who comes and coerces God to save people. God does this not only out of uh, the goodness and loving kindness of his nature. It's also out of his own mercy, his own prerogative. God decides, I'm going to display mercy upon these people. Because remember, they've not done anything. It's not because of works done by them in righteousness. God, out of his own mere good pleasure, 
out of the counsel of his will, God decides I'm going to save these people. You see, this salvation is, is near. It's near in the sense that you're hearing me right now. And because you're hearing me, because you're a sinner, you have the capacity to sin, you also have the capacity to repent. Now this salvation is near because God has said that all who will call upon his name, what will happen to them? They will be saved. So that while God is sovereign in salvation, man is responsible in repentance. We must repent of our sins. We must bend our knee to Jesus Christ. But make no mistake, my brothers and sisters, when we did that, when we repented of our sins, when we trusted upon Christ, it was because God was merciful to us. It was because God decided to reveal eh, His goodness, His loving kindness, and His mercy to us. If you are ever tempted to think that God God is going to accept your feeble works. He's not. Forget it. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 6, that all our good works before God are like filthy, a polluted garment, filthy rags. They are, they are disgusting in His sight. The things that we think we do and are the best before God, they are disgusting. So that God does not save us because of works done by us in righteousness. Please. Accept this truth. You know, when, when we hear this or when people hear this, there's a tendency in, I don't know what, in our minds, in our hearts, to revolt against it. To say, God does not need me to do anything to save me. We have this pride that wants to earn things. We want to earn the salvation that God gives. And it cannot be earned. It can't be earned. Salvation is a free gift from God. It is God who saves us. And what we do is we go to, is we, we go to God like the, the tax collector and we tell God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If we go to God thinking that, ah, there's a time that I, I did this. Oh, there's, a, there's that law that I obeyed. Oh, there's that time that I went to church. Oh, there's that person that I helped. Oh, there's this righteousness that I have. We will have no salvation. God saves his people out of his goodness and loving kindness. God is the most free being. And by that I mean he's the only free being. Right? Because you and I cannot decide that we are going to be to fly now, to be flying creatures. 
you don't have free will like that you have the freedom to make choices but we are not most free god is the most free being he is in need of nothing and no one and when god decides to save people not even jonah is going to stop him if god decides he's going to save the people of nineveh god is going to save them now when we are praying for the conversion of our family members please we are not praying that uh, they they i don't know they they make this decision they 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 see the sense no no we are praying that god would invade their hearts and subdue them the way he did the apostle paul you see what the apostle paul is talking about here is experiential he knows he was on his way to damascus to persecute christians to imprison them to kill them god appears with that bright shining light he bl- he blinds him he takes captive of his of his soul you see the holy spirit is not a gentleman you've heard that eh i'm going to be showing you next week that the holy spirit is not a gentleman he's not there oh he wants to save you oh he he does not want to come in by force no god saves people radically forcefully god has decided who he is going to save and he is going to save them not one of his people is going to die and go to hell not one jesus says my sheep hear my voice when i call them they come He says all that the father gives me will come to me. And I will in no wise cast them out. It is God who saved us, brethren. What do you do with this truth? We bow before God. We ask him to save us. We ask him to redeem us. What do we do with with this truth? <clears throat> we proclaim the gospel to sinners with the right understanding sometimes we proclaim the gospel to sinners as though they have the ability to save themselves no we proclaim the gospel to sinners knowing at the back of our minds that if god does not save these people they will not be saved so that we we want them to hear the power of god and to salvation for all uh, all who believe and we we also want to ask god to be merciful to them to save them now instead of causing us not to evangelize this truth right here is is the most freeing truth in helping us in our evangelism why because we know that our going out is not in vain we know that god is good You know that God is kind. You know that God is willing to save sinners. He's not will he's not only willing, he's also able to save them. And so this truth right here causes us to know is God good? Yes. Is God loving? Yes. Is God kind? Yes. Is God merciful? Yes. Because of this then we go out. 
Even though we know the sinner cannot save himself, we know that God wants to save them. God is willing and able to save them. We go out. We proclaim the excellencies of Christ from the top of our voices. The top of our lungs. We call people to come. To come. Because God is willing to save them. Please bow with me in prayer. Father, we thank you that it is you who saved us. Oh, how we bow before you with gratitude. What better response than to be thankful for how you have saved us. This is such a humbling truth to know that we would not be able to save ourselves. If we were to be shown the narrow path and the wide road, we would a thousand percent take the wide road. We would, without thinking twice, take the wide road that leads to destruction. But oh, how merciful you have been to us. How kind. How loving. How good, God. And thus then we thank you, Lord. We pray that you may bless to our hearts these things. Pray that your Holy Spirit may work in our hearts. Helping us in such a way that we know that he is helping us. Hear our prayers now, Lord, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.